Welcome to episode 13 of the Analytics FC podcast. Uh, as usual, Sam Gregory is joining me today, uh, and our guest today is uh, Michael Cox. Uh, hello, I'm Michael Cox. I run the Zonal Marketing website and do some work for The Guardian and ESPN, amongst other people. Um, whether I'm into analytics, I think, is is questionable, but I um, started writing about football tactics in 2010 with, with the Zonal Marketing website. And uh, I guess at the time, even though I wasn't doing that much stuff directly with stats, that was kind of the... There wasn't much kind of statistical stuff on the internet or in newspapers or anywhere about football. So I guess I was kind of seen as maybe doing some analytical stuff, but it was, uh, I guess, quite uh, lightweight compared to some of the stuff you guys uh, discuss on here. So analytics, I'm kind of on the outside of the movement, I would say. More, your domain is definitely more sort of tactics. Um, what was the sort of origins of starting zona marking? Because obviously a lot of people see it as one of the sort of old, uh, well, older uh, sort of tactics blocks. Yeah, I mean, basically because uh, there wasn't much stuff like that out there, to be honest. Um, it was, I thought, a gap in the market, so to speak. It was something that, um, I mean, I wanted to kind of get into football journalism and I thought a way to do that was to to just start writing and to write about something that really wasn't being covered in that way anywhere else. I mean, there was some tactics stuff like Jonathan Wilson, obviously, um, kind of popularised tactics, I think, before that with, a, with you know, uh, inversing the pyramid, which took, a, you know, obviously was the history of tactics. But there wasn't too much stuff about specific games so much. So I think that was kind of... Um, yeah, I just didn't understand why people weren't doing that more readily. And um, I think that's why it proved popular, really, because it was just a little bit different to, to other football writing that was available. Did you have a background in coaching or tactics or anything like that, or did this all just come from watching games as a fan and growing up with the sport? Yeah, the latter completely. I don't have any coaching background or anything like that. Um, just always love football and, and kind of sporadically on off over the previous five or six years. I used to kind of just sit and watch games and, and make notes in a um, kind of little notepad kind of thing. And kind of in a way, it was just taking just kind of making that public in a way, just doing it in a different way, making it more readable. But yeah, it was um, it was always an interest of mine. I mean, I'm a big a big cricket fan and cricket in England has always been far ahead of football in terms of the analytics because it, you know it's I guess it's the English equivalent of baseball in the sense it lends itself to to stats it's just constant set plays and that kind of thing but cricket writing has always been really in depth really analytical really good use of stats and numbers and graphs and everything and um, it was kind of just in, in an attempt to to apply that kind of logic and that kind of approach to football really. And do you still watch a lot of football? Like, is it possible to watch? I guess you were watching a lot, uh, <laughs> like we all probably would if we had more time. Um, yeah, no? yeah, it's still a lot. I mean, probably less so than when I started the website because I'm doing, you know, through ESPN, I'm kind of reporting at games more now. And one thing I've noticed is that the more games you go to, the less football you actually see because you're you actually have to travel around and prepare for stuff and go to press conferences and stuff like that so it's maybe not as much as I, I used to to be honest um but uh yeah still quite a lot I mean I, I guess on average a, a game a day but I get, it was probably more like 10 or 12 a week at its peak but uh I think it's important to find the balance because you know going to games is is 
really cool as well. You know, that's that's kind of what I always wanted to be doing. So it's um, I'm not too disappointed that I'm seeing less games on TV. I kind of just have to pick and choose them better, I guess. I'm curious, coming from a background as just a fan who enjoyed watching the game, now I'm you make a living out of it, working for ESPN FC and The Guardian and whoever else. Does it take away from it at all, or do you enjoy football in the same way you always have? I mean, I think I probably enjoy it in a different way, but then, to be honest, like the way I enjoyed football was always a little bit kind of different anyway. As I say, before I was even doing the website, I was often watching watching games and uh, and writing down the tactics and the formations and the patterns and stuff like that. So it wasn't really a, a massive departure, to be honest. I've never been one for for watching games at the pub or, or stuff like that. I always want to concentrate on the games. Um, so it's still it's still roughly the same. You know, I think when you get into journalism, there's a lot of, um, you know, I kind of have to keep on top, on top of stuff that I wouldn't really necessarily care about, to be honest, a lot of the kind of day-to-day stuff. You know, I don't... I, to be honest, with football, what I really enjoy is the matches and everything about the matches. I don't really care about the, the kind of news cycle and the transfer rumours and stuff like that. So I kind of have to keep on top of that. Um, but for me, it's all about the game. I, I love football as a game. I think it's a fantastic, in, incredibly well-organised, well-designed sport that continues to evolve. And, and you know, despite... The fact that over the, the past few years there's increasing financial inequalities within the game, you still get really tight matches, which I think is in itself really remarkable. And so for me, it's just all about the game. I, I just want to watch, uh, just want to watch games and cover the games. And uh, I think they always provide all the entertainment you need. And who would you say your like favourite teams to watch, or favourite teams sort of you've watched in the past that you've really really enjoyed? Yeah, it's funny. At the moment, I'm struggling to think of a really, really good team that I enjoy watching all the time. I mean, I like watching Atletico over the past few years because I think their their organisation without the ball is just incredible. I think, you know, the season where they won the league and they, they got to the Champions League final, they just took organisation and discipline to a completely new level. At the work rate of of Diego Costa and David Villa was just fantastic. And their positioning meant the midfield kind of positioned themselves differently. It meant that defence was protected really well. And they're still roughly playing in the same kind of style. They've lost a few players. Obviously, going forward, they've had to replace, um, you know, they're attacking a different way now, I think. But they've, for me, without the ball, they've just been the template. And I think every manager of, uh, you know, any club that isn't, a top club should be looking at Simeone's Atletico and trying to replicate them. And I think the other team in terms of organisation is um, uh, probably Bayern. I know it's a kind of standard answer to give, but um, they do it in a different way because they're always really well organised, but they, they change shape every week. And I think Guardiola's use of players in different positions and stuff is just fascinating. It's, it's just, yeah, it's tough to gauge how effective it is sometimes because... Obviously, in Germany, Bayern are starting from a position where they have better players than everyone else by miles. I don't think you could make a team from the uh, from the other nineteen teams in the Bundesliga that would be better than Bayern. So they they should be winning games. They should be winning the league by miles. And yet, the way they go about it is just always really fascinating to watch. So, yeah, a game between those two would be quite something. Moving over to the analytics side, how do you think that we should incorporate stats into modern-day football writing and writing about more sort of analytical topics like tactical analysis? 
Well, it's tough. I mean, um, I mean, I think football writing's a kind of strange place in general at this point in time because you know there's still a big emphasis upon kind of match reports and newspapers and, and things like that. But I think match reports will probably only last as long as as newspapers do, really, because once newspapers cease to exist, and that might not be too far off, then it will probably be a kind of digital situation where you can actually see the games on whatever you're trying to read a match report on. So there's not that much point reading how the goals were scored and stuff. Maybe even not reading about the pattern of the game and things like that. Um, So in that case, I think if there's writing about the games, it's going to have to be more analytical in general. It's going to have to be... Um, explaining what happened, why it happened, and I think that's where numbers come into it. Um, and so maybe we're going to have, well, maybe we're going to have a situation where people do watch the game, of course, but then look at the numbers and then write a match report or, or write something about the game, which is quite, it's quite rare in the mainstream, well, it's probably un, unheard of in the mainstream media. And even someone like me, who's a little bit removed from that, increasingly like I have to do things on the whistle so it's writing straight away um, so maybe we'll get to a situation where the kind of standard football writing is taking a more kind of backward step looking at the game um, from from a more analytical uh, perspective in general I mean what that form will take I think is, is difficult to say but I think it will there will be a demand and there will be a need to just be more analytical in general I completely uh, agree with you there, especially with like match reports. I know a lot of people like yourself use the like StatZone app to just look at the sort of a game boiled down into a few you know visualizations versus reading a an a thousand word match report. Obviously, like people have different preferences, but it's interesting to see how that's moved. And equally, you know, what's that? What is that going to be like in five years' time? Is there going to be like a breakdown on so on whatever social media you're on of just like you know the game stats and key highlights and things like that? It's definitely an area where, for the fan, it's moving really, really quickly along with the rest of sort of you know social media and technology can sort of keep up with it. Yeah, definitely. And I think the question is is what percentage of football fans actually enjoy that kind of thing. And I think it's difficult to judge from something like Twitter where it's a bit of an echo chamber and you follow everyone who has the same interest in you. There's still lots of people who do read match reports, I appreciate. But it might be slightly older generation maybe who've grown up just with that's the way that they follow football and, and that's the way they will always follow football. But I think maybe younger people are more into the stats, more into visualizations and more into this, I guess, slightly modern technological way of looking at things. Um, but I think there'll be almost a debate within journalism about how you, you know, once it's accepted the match reports are maybe less necessary than they once were. I think there'll be almost a debate about how you take it to the next step. Is it just analyzing what managers have said in press conferences and what players have said in press conferences, or will it be looking at the game itself? I don't know. I expect it will be a little bit of both, but I think there is an increasing uh, emphasis upon press conferences and what people have said. And I guess in a very, like, maybe making more of a generalisation than it, it needs to be, it's kind of about words and numbers, whether you're listening to the words of the managers or the numbers of the game. So uh, I guess uh, I guess that could be a debate that will be had. 
Do you think that there's sort of room for an integration between this value-added type of analysis and the traditional match report? I mean, you mentioned just match reports will just give you the highlights and the goals, but saying, okay, Fernando Torres scored this goal, but looking a little deeper into it, you can see that they've been overloading the left wing all game or whatever and trying to integrate this value-added analysis into the traditional match report? Yes, I think so. I mean, I I certainly think it's possible. Um, I mean, again, there's kind of a, not a problem, but I guess the people... The people who have traditionally done match reports and those people who are really kind of match report specialists don't really like that kind of analysis. And then even there's, there's people like me who will happily look at the stats and find a pattern. And I, I have almost never written a traditional match report as you would find in a newspaper or whatever. So it's, I don't know, it's, it, I think it's a very interesting kind of debate that newspapers and people who work in newspapers will be having in the upcoming years precisely what they want from match reports and precisely what they want from people who are writing about games themselves because I, I don't know, I don't know what the, the football audience at, at large wants I think there's probably lots of people who want very different things and maybe you'll even have writers who are at the game who have to do a standard match report and then have to do something completely different and analytical sake or whatever it's it's um it's such a kind of broad question that kind of relies on so many relies on so many um variables you know of technological variables of of audience variables that i don't know I, I, but i just think it's quite an exciting time because i think there are more possibilities with analytics obviously than than ever before and i think there's probably more people interested and more people who are capable of doing that writing than ever before so I don't know, honestly. I don't know. Um, getting a bit more uh, technical now, in terms of looking at tactics and, and analytics uh, overall, do you think there's a way that you can sort of combine the two and, and, and you know, potentially this could be the next big thing in performance analysis going forward is where we have a complete understanding of tactics and also a complete understanding of uh, analytics and, and, you know, what the numbers are telling us and actually playing with what the data is telling us. So whether you play, like probably what Bayern Munich are doing now is a good example, is you see, uh, you completely analyse the team, you see what their strengths are tactically, and then you see behind the, behind the numbers and, you know, where they're performing well on the pitch or where they're shooting from, things like that. And then you sort of adopt a tactical stance to, um, you know, nullify their threats and also attack their weaknesses. Do you think that that's like the model going forward? Yeah, potentially. I mean, um, again, it's a very broad question. I think, in general, probably the best analytic stuff that I've seen and enjoyed and digested is quite long-term stuff, stuff that looks at football in general, and maybe not necessarily looks at one team's pattern of play or, or one player's pattern of play. Um, whereas tactics, I think, is, is, more, is, more, is best when it's about one game. I think it's... Um, or even about you know a team over a, a series of games. I think it's relatively difficult to come to big, sweeping tactical conclusions because you're always de- dealing with different players and different teams and, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, obviously there's a link between the two, um, and I guess there's another kind of there's another kind of debate or another situation in terms of when we talk about analytics, are we talking about what? managers and teams and players want and how they can use analytics or are we talking about how 
people will observe the game and and kind of see the game as entertainment and how they will use that to kind of uh, increase their enjoyment. Because for me, they're very different things. What I find interesting as a neutral on the tactics of a game might not necessarily be what one of the man- what one of the individual managers or one of the players um, kind of is interested in and wants to see. Sometimes games are just interesting because there's a, an overall pattern. It's not necessarily that one team is playing in behind the defence. It's that both teams are playing in behind the defence and it's kind of, it's an overall pattern. Um, whereas, and, and sometimes it's difficult to tell why that is. Sometimes it's a clash of styles. Sometimes the two teams doing the same thing. Um, but it's just... I'm not sure. It's, it's such a large area, the kind of tactics and analytics crossover, that I, I think we almost need a poll of everyone involved in football, whether participating or watching, to work out actually what they want from analytics. And then we can kind of go forward. Because it's, it's genuinely tough to say. One thing that sort of got a bit of traction in, in analytics recently is the idea which broach, sort of uh, approaches this analytics tactics intersection is the idea of uh, sorting teams into similar type teams and then seeing what tactics will work against a certain style or a certain grouping of teams. I know uh, Dustin Ward at StatsBomb has done a lot on looking at uh, team similarities across leagues and grouping them into smaller sort of similar systemic teams. Do you think that that's a possible intersect intersection between the two that has actual tactical merit saying, well, the stats tell us these teams play similarly. So if we do this against this team, it might be more effective than trying this completely different approach against another team. Uh, yeah, I mean, completely. For me, like um, when it comes to numbers and analytics and stats and whatever, however you want to call it, the interesting thing for me is always about style. It's not necessarily about quality. I think a lot of people who don't like stats and don't like um, analytics or whatever think that the only way you can use numbers in football is to quantify how good someone is or, or how good a team is. And for me, it's more... The interesting thing about football is you can play football in completely different styles and have success in different ways. I mean, you know, Barcelona... And this is a very uh, raw stat to use, but Barcelona, you know, became the Spanish champions in 2011 uh, and, and European champions with incredible possession dominance every game. And that's broadly been repeated across lots of different leagues. And then Atletico Madrid won the league... 2014, averaging less than 50% possession. So you've got two teams going about it a completely different way and still getting results. And for me, that's that's fascinating. That is fascinating. And and personally, I like teams that have a defined style. I like it doesn't matter really what style it is. I don't, you know, I prefer to see possession football, I think, than long ball football. Um but for me, it's about the, the mixture of styles that makes it so interesting. And when sometimes you come across a team like, you know, a couple of seasons ago, Real Madrid, they had really, really good players, but they didn't really have a particular style. It was after Mourinho. They kind of played on the counter-attack. They were good in possession, but it was just a collection of individuals rather than something with an overall style. And I find that frustrating. What I want is a team who... You know, it's almost like um, a stereotype of how they play and is kind of insistent upon that style of play. And I think it's best when a team has almost a weakness that they can't overcome. You know, Barcelona were fascinating when they didn't have a big number nine. And so teams would kind of try and play in a certain way 
to kind of exaggerate that lack of a number nine. And that's maybe the thing that is not so interesting about Bayern at the moment, in the sense that they they have everything. Um, and it's the same with players as well. You know, like, I quite like watching... Well, someone like David Silver a couple of years ago, I thought, was the best player in the Premier League by miles, absolutely miles. But he couldn't score goals. He just couldn't score goals. The last season, he solved that problem and became a prolific goal scorer and therefore a much better, much more useful player. And yet somehow it felt a little bit less interesting because the interesting thing was how Man City were trying to overcome that and what Silver was doing to overcome that. And it's maybe now the same with Navas. Who I think is, you know, he's not as good as Sterling, Silva, De Bruyne, Nazri, but he's the most distinctive of all of them because he can only play one position, he can only do one thing, and I think that brings the identity to the way that his team plays when he's playing. So for me, it's all about style. Football, football in general, football tactics is all about style, and it's all about the different styles and the fact that you can play in so many different ways because the game is structured that there are. You can kind of do whatever you want with with your players. You know, it's not a game like, you know, compared to netball, for example. I don't know how many people listen to this will know netball because it's kind of English rubbish form of basketball. But it's probably the same kind of invasion game as football. But the players have all got kind of designated zones. If you're, you know, goal attack, you can only go in a certain area or whatever. And football's completely open. The players can do whatever they want. And that is... I think what makes it so interesting and what lends itself to having so many possible styles. And that's the most fascinating thing. If you were sort of in charge of a team's choosing a team's tactics, would you go for something that's stylistic or do you think it's better to have something that's like uh, proven and more sort of threatening in terms of you're creating the the better chances? Yeah. I mean, um, I I like teams that can play in in a, in maybe two different ways, I think. Uh, again, you look at Spain, there's an interesting kind of um, difference between Barcelona, who played possession, Real Madrid, who have played counter-attack recently, and Atletico, who've been very, very good without the ball. So they've all kind of excelled in different things, and there's some crossover between them. Um, personally, if I was creating a team, um, I don't know, it's tough to say because it's all about what players you've got and that kind of thing, but I think you would... You'd want a team where I think the players kind of got a sense of the purpose of what you're trying to do. That might sound very simple, but I think it's really crucial. I think sometimes, you know, David Moyes at Manchester United, I think one of his problems was that the players just didn't really get what the game plan was. And I think that's the most damning thing. You've always got to be working towards an objective. Um, and whether you're trying to illustrate that with stats or from a tactical point of view or whatever, it's just really important that there is an agreed goal, otherwise you won't otherwise you won't score goals, I guess. Shifting the focus a little bit back to writing, tactical writing since you've started zonal marking has exploded. I mean there's lots of sites that do it now in lots of different ways. Do you think that it's at risk of becoming a little too complex? Yeah, I think so. I mean I think in general there's just a lot of it, maybe too much of it. I mean as I say, um I started doing that style of writing just because there wasn't any other stuff around and um that isn't a problem anymore because there, there is lots of it around um and it's obviously at different levels of complexity I, I think some of the some stuff that i read i think is a little bit too complex because i think it deals with stuff that doesn't really explain the game in in a particularly 
good way. Maybe it will explain one little interesting situation within a game, and it can be interesting. And tactics writing doesn't have to always be explaining the result or whatever. It can just be interesting for the sake of it. But I think it's got to have some kind of relevance to the overall game and the overall picture. And sometimes I think that point can be lost. Um, you, you can't force it. You can't say, this is what the tactics were, this is what the scoreline was, and draw a direct line between them all the time. But I think you've got to kind of... I think you've got to be able to explain something that was significant in some way. And you can always say, well, there was an anomaly because someone scored from 40 yards and that made it 1-0, so the game changed. But you've always got to have some relevance to the overall picture. And I, I don't think that should be lost. So what do you think sort of analytics writing and I guess also tactical writing, can, can what can they learn from each other? Because essentially... Like you're saying, we're getting quite a few blogs in both uh, areas of tactics and analytics, both getting a bit more increasingly complex. Do you think it needs to be sort of simplified a bit more or at least sort of introduced a bit better so that more readers can understand and access this sort of content? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think um, I think with tactical writing, sometimes it can be easy to, to, as I say, sometimes I think it's too tempting to shape one thing to the other and to say what you want to say and see what you want to see um whereas it's not always the case and i think analytics can kind of come in and say actually that wasn't true you know i remember reading something a while back from uh i can't remember who it was but it was someone who was saying that they were kind of only crossing from the left or something and then he looked at the stats and they were only crossing from the right really or they're crossing more from the right so that i mean that's a very simple kind of just a, an error really but it's, it's that kind of thing where I think analytics can help with tactics um, and how tactics can help with analytics I think sometimes sometimes analytics writing can be maybe answer questions that I don't think were being asked or, or maybe don't produce really interesting results and again I mean it can be a problem from, from tactics writing as I say um, but I think it's always crucial that it's, you know, whatever you're writing is directly applicable to the game in some way. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think you need examples and, and be able to kind of imagine what is being said on a, on a football pitch. I mean, I remember, um, at last year's Opta Pro Forum, which I think last year was where I met you, Tom. I can't remember. Was it yeah, it year? was. It was last year's one, yeah. Last year, and there was a presentation by Gary Gillard that was about um, kind of, was it expected goals in game states or, or something along those lines? And yeah. it was just, he applied it to every team perfectly and said, you know, how some teams change style completely when they're ahead or when they're behind. And almost every team on the list changed significantly. And the one exception was Arsenal, who basically played as they do from the start from the start of the game throughout every game, whether they were losing 1-0 or winning 1-0 or winning 2-0 or whatever. And that, for me, was really interesting because it told you so much about Arsenal's tactics or maybe lack of tactics, I guess. Definitely. And they sort of completely, uh, you know, showed that maybe there's no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, sort of tendency to change the style and maybe you know they could win a lot more games if they became a bit more defensive when they were ahead or if they were behind they overloaded the goal a bit more and that's definitely the sort of nexus of uh, tactics and analytics or you know tactics and stats whatever you want to call it that maybe can provide more insights in the future because then you could take that and go and sort of say you know how can we better you know set up defensively 
if we're a goal ahead or things like that, which is where mm -hmm. you need a complete combination of video and, and data, you know, something subjective and something objective. But then at the end of the day, this is something that not one of those things alone can show us. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. And it's, it's stuff like that that I find most interesting that is applicable to, you know, individual teams. I think there was another one, might have been that year or maybe the year before, that said um, it was about whether teams cross or shoot from free kicks that were in kind of like half and half positions where you could kind of do either. And it showed that um, I remember the team who crossed the most from these kind of hybrid situations was Atletico Madrid, which was very interesting because they clearly knew that they were so good at set pieces and, and uh, or kind of crossing set pieces with defenders coming up from the back. So they tried to maximise those situations. Um, so I thought that was, you know, really interesting stuff that's directly applicable to individual teams and individual players, I think is interesting. Um, so, yeah, stuff like that's good. You know, this week there's been a lot in the news about... Um He's just attacking analytics and specifically attacking Liverpool's transfer committee. Do you think that there's there's some sort of an analogous thing that's happened in tactics where tactics writing gets attacked and has had to defend itself? Has there been any similar moments, do you think, in the past? Yeah, a little bit. There was kind of a backlash, I think, maybe 18 months, two years into what I was doing where people were saying it wasn't you know particularly interesting or wasn't explaining anything or wasn't very valuable or whatever. I think that's kind of a, it's just the same in, in whatever walk of life. If something becomes popular, if something picks up a bit of momentum, then there was, there's always going to be some kind of backlash against that. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I think the, the, um, the kind of pieces about, about Liverpool's approach were maybe not particularly enlightening. They, they, I don't think they were particularly intelligent or, revealing critiques of um of what was going on and even if they were again it's just you know you can't you can't use one example of someone using numbers to uh to kind of criticize an entire um approach it, it just doesn't make sense and i think a lot of the stuff with liverpool has been you know since they were taken over and everyone was throwing the word moneyball around i actually think what liverpool have done in parts has been as anti-moneyball as you can possibly imagine and and just at times just completely illogical under this regime i mean not even anything to do with stats but if you listen to john henry talking about what they were doing with um you know when they were selling uh torres to, to chelsea and and trying to get carol from newcastle just the kind of it was just completely illogical what they wanted to do they said they wanted a 15 million pound difference and so went to Newcastle and, and said, how much are you going to charge? And they said, £35 million. And so whatever Newcastle charged, Liverpool were going to charge Chelsea. And that's how it worked out. It worked out as 50 and 35. But as he said, it could have been anything. It could have been 70 and 45 or, or, or sorry, 70 and 55 or whatever. So it, it was just completely illogical for me. And I think that a lot of... Um, a lot of what Liverpool have done under this regime has not been kind of. I don't think I don't think anyone kind of appreciates it because you've got um, analytics writers who wouldn't, you know, wouldn't kind of subscribe to that way of doing things. But then you've got the old school who are kind of thinking that that isn't analytics thing, and that's to be criticised for that. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think anything with with this Liverpool team really makes any sense, to be honest. 
Sticking with uh, Liverpool, what do you think uh, Klopp's going to bring to them in terms of style? Do you think that it's just going to be the gate, just gate pressing, or do you think that there's other parts of his game that you know you've probably seen a lot more of than than we have that you think that we'll start to see a bit more of? Well, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I, for one, I don't think that he's going to be. Um, I don't think he's just going to create another version of Borussia Dortmund. I think he'll adjust to the players he's, he's got. I think he'll realise that he kind of knackered his players out, and I think he's intelligent enough to know that the Premier League is a very demanding league. Um, extra games, worse pitches, no winter break, uh, less less strict refereeing. So he's going to have to adjust his game. I actually think personally the gig and pressing thing has been massively overstated. I mean, Dortmund were very good at it in spells, but their first couple of seasons when they won the league, I personally didn't think gig and pressing was a huge a huge um, factor in their approach. I mean, they often sat very deep and counterattacked very quickly, and they were absolutely excellent at transitions just the you know one of the best maybe the best team i've seen at the defensive transitions at the attacking transitions the gate compressing i think came a little bit later as it tends to do with these teams you know it was the same for barcelona everyone talked about the pressing how how, how important uh, pressing was for guardiola but it was really second and then third season in particular where the pressing was really really good if you watch back the 2009 champions league final Barcelona's front three, Messi in the centre, Henri on the left, and Eto'o on the right, basically set back on the halfway line and let Manchester United play. You know, I think it was Ferdinand and Vidic with the centre-backs. And they sat deep, and then they were very good at counter-attacking. You know, the Eto'o goal game, uh, came against the run of play um, from a counter-attack. And so it's, I think pressing is maybe tough to implement really, really quickly at a team. Um, and if you do, I think it can go wrong in the early stages and you have to accept mistakes. I think Liverpool would be probably very well organised from an early stage, but I'm not sure about the relentless pressing or gegenpressing pressing high up the pitch. I think that will maybe come at a later date, if ever. One interesting question we got from Twitter was how you think your sort of knowledge or the way you watch the game would compare to the way the average club would analyse the game. And do you think you, I'm not asking if you want a job right now, but do you think you would add value to a club? Like, do you think what you're doing is different from what's actually going on inside of clubs? Yes, I think it probably is. I mean, um, I mean, personally, I don't kind of want to get into that world, although I think it is very interesting and it would be good if, you know, obviously it's, it's tough for people who work in those, in clubs or whatever, to say precisely what they're looking for. But I think it would be good to have, you know, more, discussion between 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 journalists like me and, and people like you in analytics and people who work at clubs because I think it probably is a massive difference in terms of what people are looking for. Um, you know, finding out what every team's key performance indicators are would be very interesting. Um, yeah, I think it's... Um, I think maybe they look a lot of players because I think a manager broadly knows how well his team have played and I think he knows what he wants his team to do and how well they've they've done that but maybe not so specifically what players have contributed to that individually so I think it's um yeah that's the kind of interesting uh interesting angle I don't really look at players so much individually I look at the way teams play um so I guess I would be maybe a good opposition scout but maybe not someone who would analyze players in in the team i was working for um but there's you know there's lots of layers of this like 
I think analytics can be used in, in so many different ways, in so many different scenarios. So it's it's tough to kind of generalize about what teams want. Um, going back to sort of tactics again, there's there's usually sort of two schools of thought when when it comes to sort of picking a style, and it's either you either play, uh, you know, get the best players and try to put them into a system which accommodates all of them, or you pick a system that's very effective and pick the players that fit that system, even if individually they're not the best. Do you think there's like one area there that which is better than the other, or do you think that you know either or can work depending on your style? I guess say Hulk at St. Petersburg is an example of, you know, an individual fitting into a system that's built around him, something like that. Um, sorry, who was the example you gave there? Um, Hulk at Zenit St. Petersburg. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's it's got to be a bit of both. I don't think you can... It's tough for men just to say they want a system and then crowbar run into the system, but it's tough to just play to the demands of the players as well. Um it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of both, really. I, th- I think you've got to have a kind of overall style in general because I think what a lot of people forget is that if you're a coach and you've got a style and you've worked with you know heavy pressing all the time and you come in at a new club, there's only a certain amount of training drills that you can know and can reel off um, and work with straight away. So sometimes it does just make sense to play the way you know. Obviously, you can't do that if it's completely contrary to the demands of the players. Um, and so you have to adjust your system a little bit, but um, yeah, it's, it's half and half. You've, you've kind of got to be intelligent about it. I don't think either approach works definitively. One thing that I've Tom and I were talking about this earlier that we've noticed is there seems to be a lot more words for different tactical phenomenon or different ideas in football in different languages than there are in English, especially German. Do you think, does that have anything to do with the English football culture? Is that just down to our language? Are these words even necessary? I'm just curious what you think about the sort of language divide. Yeah, well, I think it's an interesting, yes. It's, I mean, um, I think English football has always lagged behind in this respect. And I think it's, it's, yeah, partly because of a kind of anti-intellectualism, if you like. And I think a lot of people are, are kind of scared to sound like they're being... Um, like too pretentious or whatever by inventing words. Um, yeah, it's, it, no, it has been a long-standing problem, but it's it's nice to kind of use the use foreign words now and again because it's there are lots of different concepts in football, and I think our vocabulary is relatively limited. We just say midfielder, for example, or attacking midfielder, defensive midfielder. But you know, you go to Italy and you've got three or four different types of midfielder, and that just is more useful because to go back to Something we said earlier, the categorization of players, I think is really interesting. So you can have two different players in a broadly similar system or in broadly similar position who do different things. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, like you say, it is linked to the kind of the slightly backward and traditional and inward looking uh, culture of English football. Thinking more about uh, Chelsea this season, I don't know how much you've seen of them. Um but well, first and foremost, I guess, have you watched much of them? And secondly, is there anything that you've seen that sort of points to why they've been so poor so far, considering last year's title win? Uh, I no, to be honest, I find it like um, um, really strange because I think um, I think um, it, it's just been such an alarming collapse that I think there must be kind of something really odd within the team within the dressing room or, or whatever that must have happened. Um, 
they've just collapsed in so many ways and I don't think it's a, I honestly don't think it's a tactical thing because it's like everything's gone wrong they've defended badly they've had they haven't won the ball well enough in midfield they haven't created chances Hazard doesn't seem to have the pace Costa certainly doesn't have that explosive pace he had last season the only player who's looked good I think has been I think Williams uh, sorry uh, yeah Williams done okay but then Pedro's done okay as well he's come in and provided a little bit of breath of fresh air or whatever um, but it's just if, if everything goes wrong I don't know how it can be tactical you know it, it has to be kind of psychological or in terms of motivation or in terms of something grander than that I just can't believe it can be a tactical thing because it's the tactical thing is if you, you know if a couple of things are problematic you could be playing a high line or you could be vulnerable down the left but nothing's gone right for Chelsea so it's it's not a and they haven't changed the tactics drastically from last season if at all so it's for me it's not you can't explain it by tactics you can say what what's going wrong on the pitch but I'm not sure that's the root cause just a sort of a final question to wrap up here where do you see analytics and tactics in five years from now well I that's a very tough question I mean I think it'll be more mainstream both both kind of concepts I think more more than match reporting will be uh, will kind of include tactics and will include analysis and stuff like that because I think that's uh, I think as I've said before I think it's just a changing kind of landscape in terms of what people want and and the type of people who are involved in football journalism analytics I I mean I think again there's two separate kind of um, two separate kind of paths whether it's kind of looking at analytics from a kind of journalistic point of view or whether it's looking at analytics within clubs I think clubs will increasingly become more and more dependent on analytics um, I don't think there will be any less or any fewer people who are dedicated to the kind of traditional um, methods of scouting and, and that kind of thing I just think that football clubs are increasing in, in size in terms of the number of people they employ and there will just be whole new kind of departments that almost every club we're just looking at analytics and looking at things in, in really, in, really in depth. Um, for in terms of journalism, again, it, it's it's it's, t- it's tough to say. But uh, that's uh, you know, I, personally, I kind of hope that um, more people want to kind of read analytical things and are less concerned with the gossipy side of the game because I think the you know the matches themselves are the really interesting things, and that's what we should focus on. What sort of advice would you give to people trying to like getting into football journalism? Because there's so many people who want to do it, and obviously such a limited amount of space in the area. Yeah, like I think it's kind of two things. I'd say one, you have to kind of. I I, th- I think you just have to write. You know, the more you write, the more you you kind of get better. You just have to be in the the habit of that. And you know, if you're a journalist, you're not writing necessarily about what you want to write you're writing about just what you've been assigned that day and I think that's what people don't realize it's not always just kind of you know if you're writing for the times or whatever it's tough to pitch them saying well here's this team I like can I write about them you just assign something you have to make it interesting so I think you have to get into the habit of that and I guess maybe a related thing is just kind of get out and and experience different things and, and meet new people and that's maybe something I didn't do enough in my early years I kind of spent you know, I focused completely on the, you know, doing this tactics website, which which worked out well. But a lot of it, a lot of you know, journalism and football and stuff is just kind of going to games and going to grounds and meeting people and just seeing how things are done and and so just getting experience doing that. I think is really 
is really important. Um, and as much as I like the anal- uh, analysis side of, uh, side of things, it's, you know, a lot of journalism is just about reporting, just about saying what was said or what happened and that kind of thing. And that's, you know, uh, can be tougher than you think to kind of master. So, yeah, a combination of those two things. Um, are you heading to a game this weekend? I am actually. I'm, I'm very excited. I'm going to uh, Tottenham against Liverpool. Oh. The early uh, kickoff on Saturday, so Klopp's first game. So having, like, I'm going to contradict myself massively now because <laughs> having uh, having said all that, actually, I'm quite looking to the press com- uh, looking forward to the press conference, looking forward to what Klopp's going to say because he's very entertaining. But also to see how the team play. Like, obviously, it's not going to be a Klopp team yet because you know players have been on international breaks although I noticed a suspicious number were kind of picking up injuries and returning to Liverpool like I think Danny Ings pulled out the England squad to go back to Liverpool that's exactly what I would have done in that situation just go in there and impress him from the first day Um, but he's obviously not going to have had all his players to work with so I think it will be kind of uh, maybe much the same kind of Liverpool team as we've seen before but having them up against maybe the most kind of Klopp-esque team in the Premier League in Tottenham, who I think have been playing really well this season. They've got obviously a very young squad, a little bit like Dortmund a few years ago. Um, it should be a really interesting game. So, um, yeah, very much looking forward to that, having uh, had a bit of an international break. Yeah, you've definitely got the best one of the bunch this weekend, I feel, there. Yeah, it was it was either that or, or Watford. Like, I wouldn't have minded either because I haven't, I haven't been to Watford for a few years. So, I like... At the time when I put the request in, I would have happily had Watford. But as soon as Klopp came out, I was, you know, obviously delighted to be going to that. And my first trip to White Hart Lane this season. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. Cool. Um, Anything you want to plug before we sort of wrap up? Uh, Well, obviously the website is zonal marking. I kind of didn't do anything uh, on it since um, between the the last uh, last season's Champions League final and last weekend for the Bayern Dortmund game when I made my return. So, yeah, if you want to kind of check out that analysis, Bayern's 5-1 win over Dortmund with a um, basically a, defend- a switching two centre-backs, I think, was the key to Bayern's attacking performance. And that's very unusual, very Guardiola kind of using defenders and, uh, you know, as your key attacking uh, weapon. I think that was very interesting. So yeah, it's, it's zonalmarking.net, not .com, sadly. I've got the domain for .com, but I keep forgetting to redirect it. So it's .net. Cool. Uh, Sam, anything else before we wrap up? No, I think that's about it. Follow us on at analytics underscore FC. Awesome. Cool. Uh, thanks for your time, guys. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.